All right, praise God and good morning. It's another beautiful day today on this uh, nice Sunday morning. And uh, that indeed was a, a praise report that Pastor gave earlier about how the ministries that we uh, that we that we talk to and, and, and how we try to work things in our community, how they're able to then help a whole lot of people. So that was definitely a huge praise report there. And like Pastor mentioned, you know, it's it's it is really important to to be able to give back to those that are, are less fortunate. You know, during this time of the during this time of the years, we have Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays upon us. It's always it's always easy to look at what are we doing for ourselves, and sometimes we can forget about those that are less fortunate. So, uh, for those that can hear this, you know, I encourage definitely during this time of the year to look at how can you give uh, within your community, how can you give to those that are less fortunate um, during this time of the year, because we know that while you know come Thanksgiving Thursday, while we'll be sitting at our tables or wherever it is that we are eating and enjoying company with with each other, that there are some that are out there. Or, uh, on the streets and don't have that company and don't have that ability to to spend time with family. And just to stay on this a little bit, just a, just a little bit longer before we get into the message here. Um, every just about every single day going to work when I leave my parking space and I have to walk to the office there. There's always a um, this one individual that I always see somewhere on the street. Now, mind you, I get to work usually at about 6:45 or so, so it's real early in the morning and it's really, really cold. And I see this gentleman a couple of times during the day in different locations um, downtown in a wheelchair with a bunch of blankets. Um, and he just kind of makes his way around, stops somewhere, and ends up going to sleep. So every time I see him, I always try to pray for him. But it's a huge reminder that who knows where he's going to be um, come Thanksgiving time. Who knows where he's going to be on Christmas and New Year's or anything like that. So let's not forget about, you know, those people that are, are, are less fortunate than, than we are and make sure we lift them up in prayer and do what we can um, to try to help them out. Switching into the message today. Um, you know, kind of piggybacking on on that uh, on that aspect of giving to those that are that are less fortunate. That is part of the life of that's part of the life that God calls us to live as Christians. You know, our lifestyle as Christians is relatively simple, if you will, when you think of it from the perspective of we have a God that loves us more than anything, a God that will do anything for us as long as we stick to his word and a God that does not like it when 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 forces of darkness and people come come against us. So we have a relatively simple lifestyle to live um, as Christians. We follow what Jesus gave us as an example during during his ministry there. And so it should be relatively, relatively easy, easy. However, we make it much more difficult for ourselves, especially when our backs are against the wall or when we have challenges um, that come our way or when we don't or when we fail to see when an issue is getting ready to come our way. When we fail to see that the devil is getting ready to attack us and then all of a sudden we're surprised that, oh, my gosh, I just got attacked by the enemy or I've got this going on. I've got this going on. Even though Jesus said you will have trials and tribulations for some reason. We always find ourselves on the defensive just because we're children of God. And just because the enemy is always looking to attack us doesn't mean that we always have to be on the defensive. We can always actually go on the offensive and attack the enemy before he decides to attack us. So the title of today's message is going on the offensive. What we're going to talk about today is is first I'm going to show you 
what is it that we think or why is it that we believe that we can always that we should always be on the defensive? Or what is it that we look at and, and tells us that, you know what? Yeah, I have to wait for the enemy to attack before I go in and actually hit him. I have to wait for him to attack us. We're going to talk about why is it that Christians are always defensive minded as opposed to being offensive minded. And then we're also going to get into the discussion of why it's important to be on the offensive. And then I'm going to give you some key points and some things that you can do to actually go on the offensive against the enemy. So starting off, let's look at let's look at the word of God. And we're going to go to a very, very familiar scripture here that one that we've probably been to um, a million times. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter six. And we've been here so many times, you probably know where I'm going to go. We're going to start in verse 13. And actually, let's go ahead and back up to verse uh, verse 12. And just a, uh, a note, if you will. If you don't do this already, it might be a good habit to make notes on your Bible on pages or get you can go to Office Depot or Office Max anywhere that sells office supplies. And they have like these little tabs that you can buy and you can put them on pages and make yourself little notes. So that anytime you're looking in in some sort of book or anything like that, you know, oh, this page has a specific subject on it. It might not be a bad idea if you don't do this already is doing that in your Bible as well. Making little notes on your tab so you know, oh, this scripture has to do with spiritual warfare. This scripture has to do with healing. This scripture has to do with overcoming challenges because it's very helpful anytime you get hit with something and you're like, oh, man, I know the Bible talks a little bit about that or the Bible talks extensively about that. How do I find it? A good way to go is then to look at that tab and say, oh, subject, spiritual warfare, bang, and you can flip right to the scriptures. Um, I have a study Bible at home that was given to me. And one of the, the wonderful things I like about it is that on the in the back, it has all almost any subject you could think of. And under that subject, it gives you several scriptures that link to that subject. So if I have something that's going on and I want to hone in specifically in the Bible on what it says about it and I can't find it, I can flip to the back of that study Bible and say, oh, you know, here's nine or ten scriptures that are associated with it. Then I can go in there and actually do some meditating and, and, and some reading on it. So if it's not something that you do already, um, just a word of advice is it might be something that's uh, that's good to do. So Ephesians chapter six, verse 12. OK, very familiar scriptures we're going to look at here. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against uh, the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Underline, if you don't have already um, in verse 13, whole armor, withstand and stand. Okay, so it's not saying put on some of the armor, it's saying put on the whole armor so that you can withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Verse 14, underline stand again, stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take in the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Underline uh, in verse 16 to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, not just some, but all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Verse 17 and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with prayer, with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. 
underline in the spirit, being watchful, double underline that, watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Okay, so I'm going to pause there for a second. So the reason why I wanted to go to this scripture is because I remember as a kid um, growing up, we learned about the the, the, the armor of God uh, in the church that we grew up is what, was what I like to say. And I remember the bookstore that was attached next door actually had this action figure that was about this tall. It was, it was, it was pretty big and it was called the um, uh, the soldier of God. And it actually was a soldier that had the armor of God on it. And it was actually pretty cool, um, especially as a kid, because, you know, and, and little boys, you know, we like action figures and cars and those kind of things. So it was nice to have this little toy. And I remember getting home, taking it out and playing with it and everything like that. Um, and so it was always that good reminder of, oh, here's what the armor, the armor actually looks like. Well, one of the things, if you notice about the armor, and we've talked about this before, is that most of it is defensive. Okay. Now, I'm a numbers guy. People that know me know that I'm into data, into numbers. And so I looked at something just out of curiosity, and there's six pieces to the armor. Five of those six pieces are defensive. So if you do the math on that, that's 83% of the armor is defensive. Okay. So that 117% that's offensive is the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. So the reason why Christians believe many times that, oh, I can be in a defensive posture all the time is because the armor of God is mainly defensive. But they fail to understand why is it mainly defensive? It's not mainly defensive because God expects us um, to as living a victorious life is that we're just going to sit around and wait for the devil to attack us. That's not why. It's because we can't always be in a fighting in a fighting mode. Okay, what does that mean? Well, you have to go to sleep at some point. You can't fight while you're sleeping, so you need to have your spiritual armor on to, so that you so that you don't be or you're not attacked when you're not able to battle. All right, soldiers in the military, terrorist organizations, as much attacks that they do against innocent populations. I'm talking about terrorist organizations, obviously. They don't. They're not always in a fighting mode because they have to stop. They have to strategize. They have to pick. pick Targets, and they've got to do all the other things that you do as a human being. And so even though you have the spiritual armor on, there are times when you are not spiritually at battle because you are not able to battle. Again, you have to go to sleep. So you have to have this defensive armor on because the enemy is not going to stop just because you're asleep. All right. This is why many times um, as Christians, we, we should be in the habit of making sure that we're asking God to camp his angels round about our homes, our bedsides to keep us safe at night. That's something that I do every single night because you have no idea what plans or the enemy is trying to execute while you have your guard down. And God knows that there are times when you are going to have your guard down. So you have to have the whole armor on, not just pieces of it. All right. So most of it is going to be defensive because you can't always go on the offensive. Um, uh, and when when we're talking about spiritual uh, spiritual warfare. All right. The issue with thinking that we can just constantly be just constantly be on the defensive and not going on the defensive is that. You are surprised when the enemy actually attacks you. Now, I'm going to make a comparison here. The comparison is when you look at victims of domestic violence, most of the time their defense, if you will, that they believe is to just comply with whoever their attacker is, thinking that the attack is going to go away. If you apply this same mentality to being a child of God and just being thinking that you can be on the defensive all the time, then what you're basically saying is if I ignore the devil, if I don't look at him, if I don't believe that he exists, he is going to go away. 
But just like victims of domestic violence, all that does is it encourages the bad behavior. It encourages the attacks and encourages him and actually gives strength to the attacker because now he knows, well, if I'm going to attack you and you're not going to do anything about it, why should I stop? I'm going to keep going over and over and over again. And anybody, once you become saved, you have access to the armor. You can put the armor on. But if you don't actually then know the word of God and actually study the word of God so you can use it to attack the enemy, then all you're going to do is just go through your entire life getting beat up over and over and over and over again. Because the enemy is going to be strengthened and realize, well, you call yourself a child of God. But I hit you. You didn't hit back. Oh, I'm going to hit you again. 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 And he never actually stops. I knew guys in school, okay, that would go around and they would pick fights with anybody and everybody that they can, okay? Now, they got beat up almost every single time, but they would go out and they would pick fights over and over again. The only thing that stopped them from picking fights is when somebody actually went on the offensive against them and fought them. They lost, obviously. <laughs> they got beat up. And then all of a sudden it was, you know what, I'm going to choose carefully who I pick my, pick my battles with. The devil's the same way. If he knows that he can come after you and that you're not going to do anything about it, then guess what he's going to do? He's going to keep coming after you. It's when you start knowing the word of God and you pull out that sword of the spirit and you start hitting him that then he starts to rethink like, hmm, maybe I should take a step back for a minute and watch this person and not attack them because I know this person has a weapon. They have they know the word of God and that they can hit me with it. The devil tempted Jesus three times. In the desert, 40 days into his ministry, it said Jesus was tired or he, and he was hungry. He was out in the devil and what happened and in the desert, excuse me. And the devil came and attacked him. The only reason the devil stopped attacking Jesus was because Jesus three times hit him with the word of God. OK, he took out his sword of the spirit, if you will, and hit the enemy three times. And on that third time, it finally said what the devil fled from him and the angels came and ministered to him. Now, I want to put this into perspective for you. If this is Jesus we're talking about, who is the son of God and the devil walked up to him to attack him and it took Jesus three scriptures to defeat him. And we're not the son of God. We're not Jesus. Why do we think that it can only take one scripture or just us going to church on Sundays to think that we can combat the enemy? It's not possible. You have to be able to know the word of God and you have to know how to use that sword to attack the specific attacks, if you will, that the enemy has. So it's important that we actually go on the go on the offensive. And I'm going to give you a little example of what happens if you just stay on the defensive. OK, now you arm yourself with this armor. Devil comes and attacks you. OK, in this in this world, all you hear about is trouble with the stock market. You hear about finance. Everything has to re revolve around money. I mean, there's a saying that goes, uh, what is it? Money makes the world go around, right? That's how we buy and that's how we trade for, for goods and services is you have money. So what the devil can do then, all right, and we know that, that God allows us to be tempted but not beyond what we can bear. So God will allow a test to come your way. So when the devil comes to try to attack you and you pull out your faith, right, the shield of faith to quench all the fiery darts, of the enemy that the Bible talks about there. If you don't know how to wield that shield of faith, what happens is you start to pull it up. The devil barely, it barely blocks the devil's attack. Bang, let's say he hits you in the head, knocks off your helmet. Now your mind is exposed. So now you've got a spirit of doubt that's going to come in there and tell you, uh, can God really deliver you from this? 
you might want to go take a look at your bank account because you don't have anything in there. Now what happens as a baby Christian, because you're just in a defensive posture, you go, oh, wait a minute. The devil just hit me in the head, so now I'm going to raise my shield up to block my head. The devil sees that, bang, he goes after your feet, knocks your boots off. So now that preparation of the gospel of peace is no longer there. Now you're on shaky ground. Okay, now you can't stand because you're wavering back and forth. That peace is gone. And now you're thinking, huh, he hit me in my feet. I'm going to go block my feet. And you don't ever actually stop to think. Wait a minute. Why am I blocking somewhere that the devil already attacks? So now you go to block your feet with that shield and then you leave your midsection exposed. Bang. He wants to go ahead and hit you and knock off that breastplate of righteousness. Okay, what happens after that? Now you start thinking, how do I get out of this situation now? All right. I need five thousand dollars. How can I quickly get five thousand dollars? Oh, that's right. There's a bank down the street. They don't have any guards there. I know where all the cameras are. I used to work in a bank, so I know what happens. Now you go in there and you go rob that bank thinking that you can get away with $5,000 to pay your debt and thinking that you're going to be out of the situation. And what happens? You get caught. You end up locked up for who knows how long. Okay. Now, that's not far fetched because I do know of Christians um, uh, that were going to church on a regular basis and doing and saying all the right things that unfortunately led, led themselves into this situation. Okay. So it's not very far fetched to think that by being on the defensive, that the devil can't hit you in places and have you doing things that you know that you shouldn't be doing. How many times do you hear about major crimes happening, some some vicious crimes happening? And when you look into the person's background, you see, oh, no, their parents raised them up in a Christian home. Why are they like this? Why are they like this? And it's true. Parents did raise them in a Christian home. But for whatever reason, when that person started to get older, they just ignore that, that seed that was planted and, and allowed the enemy to get in there and to attack them and have them doing things that they know that they shouldn't be doing. A lot of times that can come from pride. OK, a lot of that times that can come from pride because it's I know better than you because I'm in the situation right now. OK, I was just um, one of the things that I do on the on the side is I, I, I coach um, high school football and we had a, a conversation with the with the kids at the school there. And, and talk with them about how uh, you need to make sure that you respect the elders and that certain behaviors are not toler tolerated with, with people that are older than you and understanding. And we actually said this to them is that we have all been where you are, where you guys are right now. Every single one of us has been in this situation. But what makes you a better person is how you respond to it. So that is a pride thing when you say, I know more than people that have already been there before. And if you let that pride set in, you know what ends up happening. Right. We already know what the Bible talks about pride. That's why Lucifer is no longer Lucifer. And that's why he became Satan. So once again, it's important to be able to make sure that we're not constantly in the, on the defensive and that we actually go on the offensive. But before we can go on the offensive, we have to make sure that spiritually we are in the right place. Turning your Bibles to Luke chapter six. chapter 6, and this is another familiar scripture here. We're going to go to verse 41. So before we can go on the offensive, we have to make sure spiritually we are right. Luke chapter 6, verse 41. 
And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Every time I read that scripture, I, I chuckle because I actually imagine like this big old beam or this big old wood piece sticking out of somebody's eye. Um, so I, and, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but, not, but, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, remove from your own eye. Uh, remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. Underline all of 41 and 42 if you don't have already have it underlined. OK. So what this scripture is saying, a lot of times when we um, as Christians, you know, we, we, the Bible talks about pray for those that uh, uh, that are needing prayer, helping the needy, right, caring for uh, the weak and doing those things. A lot of times we have access to these tools. And we want to get involved in everybody else's business, but our own house isn't actually in order. We're not right. We're not where we where we need to be in terms of things of God. We go to a church once a Sunday, once a month, or maybe we just go on the major holidays. And then we want to go give somebody else marital advice or we want to give someone else financial advice or some sort of advice and something that they're dealing with. That's a major thing. But we ourselves are not spiritually right. This scripture is not saying that. You have to be perfect because we know that the only one that's ever been perfect is Jesus and that none of us will ever, ever be perfect until we go home to be to be with the Lord. We are constantly being tested and our faith is constantly being tested and we do slip and stumble. That's why we end up repenting. So this is not saying that you have to be perfect before you can go on the attack or before you can help somebody out. It just simply says you have to know what's going on in your life. You have to understand how you might be getting attacked. You have to understand how to combat the attacks that go against you in order for you to be able to then get involved in someone else's business or someone else's life, even if it's in your own household. You might have a family member living in your household that is under some spiritual attack. How can you expect to help them if you constantly allow yourself to become under spiritual attack and not allow yourself to become become under spiritual attack because it'll happen. But how do you respond to that? If you constantly allow yourself to get beat up during those spiritual attacks and you never take out that sword of the spirit to combat the enemy, how is it that you can then how is it that you can then think that you can help someone else that's in your household that's under spiritual attack? One of the things that I used to do um, in the workplace is I used to teach process improvement. And one of the things I would talk with different teams about is um, um, understanding what is it that's in your process that's failing? What's not working and how do you improve it? A lot of times people would say, well, if Sally Joe over there on the other side of the building would just do this, this and this, it would make my life so much better and it would make our processes a whole lot better. Well, the reality of it is, is that they, they never actually looked at their own processes that they can control to figure out how to fix those. But they want to go point the blame over at Sally Joe, who's on the other side of the building, having her own issues she's got to deal with. Never understanding, well, why does Sally Joe process things the way that she does? So what this scripture is really looking at there is you've got to take care of your own house first, so to speak. Make sure you're spiritually fit, not being perfect, but making sure that you're spiritually fit before you start getting involved in other people's other people's activities and other people's lives. One of the things I remember hearing um, on the radio, oh, this was going back probably about five years or so ago. Um, I was driving to the driving to the office there 
Um, and I just had the radio on because, you know, at the time I wasn't putting my music on my phone. So <laughs> I wasn't listening through music through the phone and forgot to put a CD in. So I was like, well, great. I got to listen to the radio. And I was listening to a Christian uh, Christian station and I wasn't really paying attention to what was on there. But for some reason, I was probably about five minutes away from my office. Somebody got on there and they were talking about pastors. And I started listening to this a little bit. I was like, where is he going with this? And one of the things he said was he said, you know, we hold pastors up in such a high regard that there's this misperception that pastors are perfect. And I sat there and I started listening to that. And what started resonating in my spirit was, all right, Lord, because for many years I've heard people through various conversations say, yeah, I could see you standing up there preaching. I could see you doing this and doing that. And I'm like, that's not what I want to do. So don't say that to me. And that's not what I want to hear. And then when I heard this on the radio, it kind of dawned on me that if God is calling me to do this, why is it that I'm dragging my feet? And the reason why I was dragging my feet was because I felt as though I wasn't perfect enough to actually be able to do this. And so when the when when the when the guy on the radio was saying that, no, that's why you have to pray for your pastors, because they're not perfect. They are human beings. They do the best that they can to live a godly lifestyle. It started resonating with my spirit that I was sitting here waiting for this 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 false level of perfection that the devil had planted in my mind that, yeah, you got this, 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 this. There's no way in the world you could stand up there and preach. And then what came to my spirit in, in that time was, no, 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 no. It's not about that. Because you are going to be under attack. It's what do you do in those moments when you're attacked that, that, that lets you know whether or not you're fit to do this. If you follow me in all things, this is God saying this, if you follow me in all things and do your best to live the lifestyle that I laid in front of you, I will take care of the rest. And in that moment, ever since then, I have never forgotten that, that, that what I heard on the radio. And I don't know what they talked about before that. I don't even know what they talked about after that. But that part of the message really, really, really stood out to me that this lifestyle that we live as Christians, it's about trying our best to be perfect and understanding that we will never be at a level of perfection that we think we should be at. But don't let the devil get in there and say that just because you're not perfect, you can't do what God's calling you to do. Moses wasn't a perfect speaker, but God called him to go before Pharaoh to tell him to let my people go. OK, so God, so so God can use you, can use you in those ways. But again, this is not about being perfect. This is about making sure that you understand what's happening well enough in your life so that when you do come under attack, you know exactly what you need to do. You know how to give it to God and you know scripture well enough to be able to, to, to combat the enemy. OK. So, again, it's important that we're not always defensive minded, that we look to go on the offensive and that we make sure that we're right in our lives. We are right spiritually by knowing what the word of God says, knowing where, where, where to go for scripture and that we can recognize when we're under spiritual attack so that we can then go ahead and attack the enemy. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at different ways that we can go on the offensive. Turn into uh, turning your Bibles to Joel chapter two. I'm going to give you some key points here and some key things that can be done to go on the offensive against the enemy. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Wait 
for everyone to get there. Joel 22, uh, Joel chapter two, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour my spirit out on all on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Okay. So oftentimes or at times. A way to be able to go on the offensive is looking to see what type of visions and dreams that you're having. Is there some warning sign in dreams or in a vision that you have that can be letting you know of things to come that you need to react to? Turn to Genesis 41 and we're going to start in verse 14, because one of the points here is. To look at what messages through visions or dreams God could be sending you as a way to go on the offensive. Would probably actually help if I turn there. Genesis 41. And let's start in verse number 14. Okay. So we just read in Joel there, right, that God said that he was going to pour his spirit out on all flesh and that people were going to be able to prophesy, dream dreams and have visions. OK, so there's a chance that uh, any visions that you might be having or in any dreams that you might be having that there could be. Uh, there could be a message there for you, and you need to respond accordingly to those or respond appropriately. So we're going to look at another um, a, a famous, if you will, example of uh, God revealing, a, giving someone a dream and how to respond to it. Genesis 41, verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called. Let me see. I want to start Genesis 41:14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and brought him quickly out of the dungeon and he shaved, changed his clothes and came to Pharaoh. So at this point, what happened was was Pharaoh was having some dreams. OK, and he wasn't sure what the dreams meant. Uh, and before this, he had called for some um, uh, for some sorcerers and to ask them to interpret the dream. Um, and as they were talking, they said, hey, well, there's this guy, Joseph, that, you know, knows how to interpret dreams. And so Pharaoh called for Joseph here um, or was calling for Joseph. That's where we're, we're picking up. And you can read the preceding scriptures. Uh, we won't go there today. Um, but verse 14 again, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And they brought him quickly out of the dungeon and he shaved, changed his clothes and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand the dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, underline this, it is not me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. There's a lot out there. OK. And you got to be really careful when it comes down to dreams. There's a lot of information that's out there that tries to tell you, here's what this dream actually means. Don't go around messing with that. OK, do not go around messing with that because you have no idea what doors you could be opening by trying to figure out. All right. I just had this dream that I opened up a refrigerator uh, and this big old meatball sandwich came out and started chasing me down the street. Does that mean that I need to give up meatballs? <laughs> OK, that's not what that that's not necessarily what that means. All right. But we look sometimes we can look into dreams way too much and we think it means something when it doesn't actually mean anything. So be real, real careful about um, when you have a dream, what that dream actually means. OK, um, I've heard I think it was in psychology class in, in high school. Or, or in college, excuse me, where they say, well, dreams are a collection of different events that have taken pl place over the last, you know, 24 to 48 hours. 
okay, well, I had a dream that there was a transformer in the kitchen one day cooking pancakes, and I'm pretty sure transformers don't exist, okay? And if you've ever seen a transformer movie, you understand how big these things are. So how it could fit in my kitchen at the time that only had an eight-foot ceiling, I have no idea how that's possible, but I'm pretty sure that that dream didn't mean anything, not to mention that I didn't even watch Transformers any time during that week that or, or that month, okay? So don't look too much into it, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that about that later on. But you don't want to do what Pharaoh is doing, which is he's calling calling on all these sorcerers and, and these people to interpret dreams. But he called on Joseph because he heard that Joseph knew how, how to interpret dreams. And Joseph did the right thing there by saying, no, it's not me that's going to tell you what this dream means. I will tell you the words, but it's God that's actually going to tell you, uh, tell you what this dream is. Um, so verse 16 again. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, it is not me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came up from the river, fine looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Um, you know, underline that in verse 18 there. Suddenly seven cows came up uh, out of the river, fine looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. Okay, underline, uh, underline that as well. OK, because we see we see some description there that Pharaoh has and he's trying to figure out, like, hey, what does this mean? And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. When they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke. OK, verse 22. Also, I saw in my dream and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk full and good. Then behold, seven heads withered thin and blighted by the east wind sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians. And this is not in some interpretations. You might not have magicians, but um, it's not like the magicians like we see on TV, you know, where everything is. Uh, they, they perform, quote unquote, magic tricks through um, uh, what I call deception or misdirection, where they have you looking at one thing and they're secretly doing something behind the scenes to make you think, oh, oh my gosh, this is not the type of magicians. Obviously, the Bible is talking about here. Uh, this is people that are involved in, in, in witchcraft and those type of things. Um, and so I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, we see again, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. So Joseph, again, is here saying that God is showing you what's about to happen. OK, so this is not Joseph saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to show you what's about to happen. God is revealing something to Pharaoh in his dream. And that's what Joseph is saying. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And, and the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after the after them are seven years and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. I'm going to pause there for a second, because the reason I had you underline where it says the seven the seven cows that were um, uh, that were fat and they, and they look good. And then the seven ugly cows that came up is because what you see here is you see a dream that has happened that has some metaphors in it. OK, 
the seven cows didn't necessarily mean anything in terms of like actual seven cows. And as you can see through the interpretation, it was seven years. Well, when we read the Bible, this is where um, non-Christians have a hard time reading the Bible and understanding is because the Bible will use metaphors of things. But it's the Holy Spirit revelation that then takes that metaphor and says, this is not actually this is not a literal translation. What this means is this. And that's what we see in the scripture here in, in this in this dream. So if you are having any kind of dreams or visions about things to come, you have to take those to God because God will then be able to tell you, here's what this actually means. It's not a literal translation. This actually means X, Y and Z. Okay, so that's why I had you underline uh, underline that, because as you can see um, through uh, by God, given this interpretation of Joseph, Joseph is able to tell Pharaoh that, hey, these two dreams that you're having, they are actually connected and it's signs of things to come. And that's going to be seven years, seven years of famine that's going to be happening after seven years of plenty. So picking up here in verse um, 32 and the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice. Because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land of uh, for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So, again, what you see there is after Joseph gave that interpretation to Pharaoh, God also then said, here's what you should do about it. So if there's something that you're 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 you're, you're dreaming about or you're wondering about or you had you think you're having a vision about when you take it to God, not only will God tell you, yes, this actually means something or, you know, no, this doesn't mean anything. Like I said earlier about that example of a transformer in my kitchen making pancakes. Obviously, that didn't mean anything. Um, and it only happened at one time. But but if you do have something like that, taking it to God, because he'll be able to say, yeah, you know what? That dream is also connected to this dream and this dream. And then here's some specific things that you need to do, because this is an actual warning. OK, um, without getting into too many details, I remember several, several years ago, I was having a reoccurring dream over and over and over again. Um, and it startled me at first because I was like, wait, how could this be happening in my house? What's going on here? What's going on here? And then God showed me as I took it to him and I actually still have them in, in my phone where I put down the dates, um, what the, the specifics about the dream was. Um, and I, that, I sat down and I prayed about it. I said, Lord, this is what I'm actually seeing in a dream. And this thing was extremely vivid to the point where I could almost feel everything that was that was happening. And I took it to God and I started praying about it. And I said, Lord, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? And by doing that, he then showed me, OK, this is a sign of things to come with some spiritual battles that, that you're going to be involved in. Here's what you can do now to start to start dealing with it. OK, so these things do happen. And, and I'm sure some listening to this may sound like, oh, man, this doesn't sound this is weird. And, and, and here go those crazy Christians again talking about dreams and visions and, and having God interpret things. But I can tell you beyond the shadow of a doubt that this stuff is not far fetched. This stuff is real. OK, these dreams that I was having, they didn't happen every single night. They were even spaced out over a period of time. I could have one dream one night. Two nights can go by and that dream will pick up right where it left off. And as I started seeing that pattern happening, that's when I started praying and saying, Lord, is there something here that you're looking? Is there something here that you're trying to show me? 
And through that, he said, yes, here's what I'm trying to show you. Here's what I need you to do. And so therefore, I did that. And I can still look back on today, even today, look back on those dreams and say, yeah, I see. I still see that warning. I still see it there. OK. Prophecies also take place. We, we hear prophecies here in church. We've heard prophecies in our lives um, growing up as Christians. Prophecies also are a great way to see um, um, uh, warnings of things to come. Right. How many times has God told us that he's looking for um, a remnant that's willing to follow him? He's looking for people that are going to give up uh, their own way to completely follow him. And if we do that, we're going to that he's going to bless us and being able to let us know that um, if you don't follow me wholeheartedly, here's here's a warning of things that can that can happen. Okay, so one of the ways that can go on that you can go on the offensive is looking to any kind of dreams, prophecies or visions that you might be having. And taking those to God to see, Lord, what does this actually mean for me? Is there something that I need to do? And if so, what is it? I also suggest that when you have these things, write them down. Okay, you've heard Pastor talk numerous times about keeping a night, uh, uh, a notepad on your nightstand. For me, my phone and my iPad are always on my nightstand, always within arm's reach. So anytime I have something there that I'm feeling or that I'm seeing, I will write down the details of it. And then when I have my quiet time, I take it to God and say, all right, Lord, I'm just going to listen. Here's what I'm bringing to the table. What does this mean for me? The other thing is to look for patterns. Okay, another way to go on the offensive is to look for patterns. Pharaoh had some patterns in his dreams by constantly seeing seven come up. Which then was which through the interpretation from God, Joseph let him know that the seven, the seven is seven years. It was a warning to Pharaoh to let him know that seven years of plenty will be coming, but then that there's going to be seven years of famine. OK. And through that, being able to then prepare and you and, and I encourage you, if you if you don't know the rest of the story, really look at what happens after that, because it shows how Joseph um, uh, was then promoted. And through him going through that experience with the famine was able to make sure that his family was taken care of when he was reunited with them with them later on. OK, so being able to, to look for patterns is also a way to go on the offensive. OK, a great example of a pattern that is probably known, I, I'd say, worldwide and that not a lot of people really look into. And that's the cold and flu season. Right. There's always a cold and flu season. There's a time when when a lot of sickness starts to happen, you know, usually around the months of October and September. And everyone talks about, all right, go get a flu shot and those type of things, because that's the time of the year where sicknesses can easily um, can easily happen. Well, how does that turn into a pattern? Well, because I can tell you that from experience and other people that I know, we don't always get sick during cold and flu season. Sometimes there's a natural sickness that takes place, you know, because we are on this physical world and physical bodies and there's natural sicknesses that take place. But when you start to see those kind of patterns, it's being able to go after that and start rebuking that in advance. OK, a lot of times, especially with the kids in school, you know, germs and stuff will get passed around. But that doesn't keep me from laying hands on my kids before they actually go to school. It doesn't keep me from praying for them before they go to school to make sure that they don't get sick, to bind up any spirit of infirmities that might try to, to, to rise up to get them to be sick or to get me sick or to get my wife sick or anything like that. I do that in advance because I know that this time of the year, there's physical germs that are going, that are going to pass around. OK, if you find yourself constantly being sick, let's say um, before church, there's a good chance that, that there might be a pattern there that you need to that you need to go against. There were several months 
in which um, before I, w- I would stand up here and preach the week that I was stand- that I was scheduled to preach that starting that Wednesday going before Bible study, I was exhausted. Exhausted for no reason whatsoever. And as someone that's played sports just about all their lives, I'm in tune enough with my body to know when I'm feeling fatigued, whether or not I'm doing too much or if it's something else. And then I can take that to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, I'm more tired than the normal. Am I doing too much or am I starting to come down with something? What's going on? So what would happen is Wednesday night after work, I go home, get dressed, get changed, get ready to go to Bible study. And I'm just exhausted. Come Thursday, I wake up and I'm like, man, I don't know if I can even go to work today. I really don't feel like, but let me go ahead. Let me go push through. There's only a couple of days left and I'll be on the weekend. Come Friday, all of a sudden I got the tickle in my throat. The nose is starting to get stuffed up. What's going on here? What is this? Come Saturday, if if I didn't have my message prepared, I'm sitting there thinking the devil started planting my mind and say, you know what? Why don't you just call the pastor and tell him you can't preach on Sunday? You need some rest because you've got Monday morning, you've got all of these meetings. Tuesday, you've got this. Wednesday, you've got this. And he starts throwing my schedule out there in front of me to the point where I sit there and say, oh, yeah. I'm like, no, no, no. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And I start preparing my message and I get my message ready to go. Come Sunday, it's even worse. I could barely wake up Sunday morning to go to church because I'm on on the schedule to preach that Sunday. But I start binding it up and I get up here. And by the time I get up here, whatever it is that I was feeling is no longer there. I get home and it was like, oh, that was really weird. So when the Holy Spirit revealed that to me and said, that's a pattern because the devil is trying to shut you up. What I could do starting Monday morning is I start rebuking that spirit of infirmity. okay, and I start rebuking him every single day. And what I've noticed over the over the over, you know, the last several years doing that is that 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 fatigue never set in. And he would only try to hit me with like a little tickle in my throat. And I'm like, no, I know what's going on. I rebuke you, spirit, infirmity in the name of Jesus, for by his stripes I am healed. And then I start repeating that every single day. By his stripes I am healed. By his stripes I am healed. And then come Sunday and come Saturday, I'm completely fine. No issues. So those are things that you have to look for in your life to see are there patterns um, of behaviors that are happening or patterns of feelings that are happening that could be telling you that or it could be a warning that the enemy is actually attacking you. All right. So two things we covered so far is one, looking at any kind of dreams and visions to see if there's warnings or prophecies to see if there's any warnings there and acting um, appropriately to that, taking the right actions and also looking for any kind of patterns in your life to see are those signs of, of the enemy attacking you so that when you learn about them, you can then start rebuking them before they come. Another one, which is a big one here, turn to Malachi chapter three. And another way to go on the offensive, believe it or not, is through the giving of tithes. Malachi chapter three. And we're going to go to verse eight. And this is another familiar scripture here. You know, and the interesting thing about this is, is when I was preparing this message, this was probably the first one that actually came to me that God threw out there and said, this is a big one to go on the offensive. And so I'm going to follow I'm going to follow his lead and I'm going to we're going to talk about this today. Tithing Malachi three, verse eight. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? 
You are cursed with the curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. If you haven't underlined all of nine and ten, do that. Okay. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Also on the line, all of chapter 11, um, all of verse 11 there as well. OK. How could tithing help you put you or put you on the offensive against the enemy? Well, first Timothy 610 talks about how the love of money is the root of all evil. OK, we're not going to go there now. Actually, let's go there. Put a bookmark where you are right now. Let's go to First Timothy chapter t- uh, six, verse ten. Okay, now hold your place there in Malachi. First Timothy chapter six. I'm gonna wait for everyone to get there. First Timothy six, uh, chapter six, verse 10. Okay. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. OK, the reason why I wanted to point that scripture out there is because, um, as I said earlier, the way we get purchased goods and services nowadays is through is through money, right? You have to pay for it and that's the currency that we use. We don't trade goats and sheep and all those things like they did in biblical in biblical times. Um, but that love of that money and wanting to hold on to that money leads to all sorts of issues. Okay. If you've ever watched any of those judge shows like, you know, Judge Judy or anything like that, it amazes to me how many family members are on there suing each other over money. All right. Matter of fact, I was just watching TV the other day and I saw that uh, uh, four NFL players in London were detained over uh, a dispute over a bill that they ran up. OK, so money has a way or to say the love of money has a way of drawing out all sorts of uh, of evil thoughts, evil behaviors in your life. OK, so why is it so hard to tie this? Because people want to hold on to that money. The love of having uh, a big bank account, the love of being able to take go somewhere and, and pay for something that's twenty thousand dollars in cash is really it appeals to a lot of people. And so that thought of saying that I have to give 10 percent to a force, if you will, because they don't know who God is, I, that I have to give this 10 percent to God. And I've never seen God and I've never heard of God. So I'm supposed to go to church and put 10 percent of my income into this into this bag somewhere because that's supposed to be given to God. How can I do that when I've got a million dollars here? I can't give up 10 percent of a million dollars. That's one hundred thousand dollars. What's really in the bigger scheme of things, it's not that much. It's probably chunk change. You can probably go home and take that from under your sofa if you've got a million dollars stashed around like that. 
But the reason why that goes on the offense is you go on the offensive there when you do that is because verse 11, what does God say? I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the, the, the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. So by, by you giving out your, your, your tithes and your offerings, all right, that, that, that gives God the ability then to, keep, to kick the devil out of your household, to kick the devil out of your life so that you can bear fruit. And the Bible talks about bearing fruit, much fruit and more fruit. So by giving of tithes and not letting the love of money get into you, get into your spirit by giving of your tithes, you go on the offensive now because now you can actually make sure that the devil is rebuked and that he can't attack you. A good habit to get into if you don't do this already is um, most of us or, or some of us, we have spreadsheets with with all of our expenses on it, income and expenses. The expense that's on there that is a not non-negotiable expense for me is tithe. OK, if you don't do that already and include tithing in your bill, I would highly recommend that when you look at your monthly expenses, that the tithe is up there. And that's one that is not negotiable in terms of how much you give. All right. I've heard Christians argue the fact that, well, you give how much you want to give in tithe and I'll give how much I want to give in tithe. Well, all things being equal, if we both make a thousand dollars, we should be given a hundred in tithe. Why? Because the word tithe means 10 percent, a tenth part, which is 10 percent. But there are Christians that will argue, I don't have to give 10 percent because the Bible doesn't tell me I have to give 10 percent. Well, if you look at the word tithe and actually look at what that means, it means a tenth part. In other words, 10 percent. So by doing that, what you're showing God is, Lord, I know that at some point in my life, you know, I'm, I'm going to get hit into a financial situation. There's no person I've ever spoken with that at some point didn't get hit with some sort of financial challenge in their life. But by me making that my top bill, if you will, my top expense, the expense that I am not going to negotiate from, what I'm telling what I'm telling God is I'm saying, Lord, no matter what comes my way, no matter what I've got in front of me, I'm going to give to you because that's what your word says. And I know that you're faithful to give. OK, I know that you're going to give back to me a hundredfold. So I'm going to give to you no matter no matter what. We have to be willing in order to go on the offensive, we have to be willing to to to, to give whatever it, to give up the things that we want to hold on to the most. OK, so along with the tithe, what about your time? Giving time to God is a way to go on the offensive. Why? Because when you give your time to God, it gives him an opportunity to share with you things you need to watch out for. It gives him the opportunity to help you identify any patterns that might be coming up in your life, as I was talking about earlier. It also helps you to give confirmation, helps him to give you confirmation of actions that you feel that you should take. So one of the other ways to go on the offensive is acting on confirmations. Our military, before they strike a target, they have to get confirmation that it's the right target. Before you act on something that 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 you think God is calling you to do or, or in your gut, because usually confirmation start off with a gut feeling like, oh, I feel like I should be doing this. And if you don't know whether that's God or self-talking, because they will sound the same, you take it to God and say, Lord, this is what I'm feeling. Is this really you? You have to be careful, however, though, with the confirmation that you're not mistaking the confirmation for doubt or for fear because they can look the same. What does that mean? Well, I hear something. I feel something in my spirit that I should I should act on. And instead of me saying, Lord, is this really you? I say, 
God wouldn't call me to do that because he knows I don't like doing that. So you end up dragging your feet. That's doubt. That could also be fear because you're afraid of what God is going to tell you. So you start. Eh, God wouldn't tell me to do that. I don't like public speaking. God's not going to have me deliver a sermon in front of in front of people. God's not going to call me to do this. God's not going to call me to do that because I don't have that skill set versus Lord. I think this is what you were calling me to do and I'll do it. I'm just not sure if this is you or not. Is this really you? Okay, that's the difference between confirmation and doubt. As silly as this may sound, um, you know, one of the things that I learned is to try to include God in every single decision that I make. I remember when we when when wife and I, we first got married and we we moved out and we're getting our own apartment there. um, I saw a flat screen TV I wanted. And I remember doing some research online and I saw and I was like, oh, you know, before work, I'm going to swing in there and, and see if they have it. So I swung into Walmart and was asking questions about it. And uh, the guy actually came out and bought the TV out. And I was like, oh, I'm not ready to purchase now. I was just wondering if you had it because I didn't see it on display anywhere. And he's like, oh, yeah. And, and, and he's like, oh, yeah, we still have it. And we got a couple of them back then. And I looked and I was like, all right. I said, all right, thanks. I said, well, I may swing by after work or something like that and pick it up. Well, on the way to work, I'd felt in my spirit, well, call your wife, talk to her about it. So I did that. Check the bank account. We could pay cash for it. No big deal. It wasn't going to impact anything that we needed to do. And so everything looked like it was going to work. So what I finally did, what I finally just said was I said, all right, Lord, I said, here's what I'm going to do. I did everything I was supposed to do. I checked the bank account. It's not going to be a problem. Talk with my wife. Now it's going to be a problem. So we're in agreement. So now we're on one accord. They have it there. After work, I plan on going over to pick up this TV. If this is not what you want me to do, make it very clear and make it so that that TV is not available. Okay? Because I felt like, yeah, everything lined up. It should be all right. So after work, I, yeah, I went, swung by Walmart, went there, I asked him about the TV. And the guy said, he said, what's your name? So I said, oh, Brandon told him. And he goes in the back. He comes back out. The TV, he actually put my name on the TV, and I didn't even ask him to. Okay? So I knew that that was right, that God was calling me to saying, yeah, he said, when I check with him, like, Lord, is this of you? Should I go ahead and do this? As silly as that may sound and as trivial as that might sound, most people look at that and say, Brandon, it's a TV. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal was, was I wanted to make sure that I included God in that decision. And I wasn't just going to go out and make a purchase on something um, and especially something like that without including him into the discussion. Nine years later, we still have that TV and it hasn't had an issue since. <laughs> OK, it's sitting up in our bedroom right now. We've not had one issue. So that might sound silly. But I felt in my spirit that God was saying, yeah, go ahead. You did the right things. And so now it was, you know what, Lord, if this is of you, make it so that it's not available. Or if if this is not of you, make sure that it's not available when I get there. Okay, and it was there and actually ended up getting the last one (laughs) and it's still working to this day. The last thing here that we're going to that I'm going to that I'm going to close with. All right. Is looking for failure points as another way of. Going on the offensive. Okay. Failure point simply means that in any given situation that you're in, something could go wrong. Identifying what those things are that can go wrong and then taking it to God is a good way to go on the offensive, because now what you're doing is you're saying this could go wrong here. I'm going to take it to God and I'm going to rebuke it in the name of Jesus before that situation happens. All right. Um, I've told you guys the story about one of the, 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 the first car my wife and I bought. Um, that, you know, sounded like a truck. Okay? 
I mean, it, it, I still to this day, I remember my brother saying, oh, I could always tell when you guys were home because I could hear the car coming down the street. OK, I think you remember and the thing was boom, 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 every time it came in to the point where if my wife got up to go food shopping in the morning, it would actually wake me up because I could hear it from the bedroom, which was on the back of the apartment. And the car was at the front of the apartment. So I could hear it all the way coming through. And then I knew when she was coming home because I can hear her actually pull into the driveway. And so that car was was very loud. But what I knew was every single day when we got in that car that I didn't know whether or not it was going to start. So every morning, anytime we made a plan to go somewhere, I would say in the name of Jesus, make this car start. OK, because that was a particular failure point that could happen in that moment. All right. Sundays are full of failure points, if you will. You can miss your alarm clock. OK, you can be too tired. You could be really sick. OK, so being able to identify like, all right, Lord, what's Sunday? Sunday. I got to go to church. All right. So what could go wrong on Sunday? Well, maybe I had an issue with my car last week and I'm going to pray about it. Lord, in the name of Jesus, whatever that issue with that car was, I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Start. Get me to church. Spirit of slumber. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Okay. Being able to bind that stuff up in the name of Jesus beforehand. Okay. Oh, I've got all this stuff going on at work. I got this stuff going on at home. I got things going on in my personal life. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. Spirit of mind control. Okay. I cast you out, Lord, anoint my mind so that when I'm actually in church, I can actually take in the things that are being said to me and that I can remember them. If you have a hard time remembering things, okay, or you don't know how to take notes, being able to say in the name of Jesus, prepare my spirit so that the words that I hear on Sunday get planted deeply in my spirit and be planted as a seed on fertile ground. That's a way to be able to rebuke, to be able to go on the offensive as well, so that by the time you walk into the sanctuary on Sunday, you're prepared to listen to what God has to say. You won't let that spirit of mind control get in there because you've identified in advance that he might be coming in to try to attack you and to try to steal, steal the word, to try to steal your joy. I don't like public speaking. Okay, I can't stand it. I, for some reason, I just don't like it. I think it's the, the thought of people looking at me while I'm standing up and talking. So one of the things that I have to do constantly before I preach is I rebuke that spirit of fear and doubt. Because the spirit of doubt will come in and say, you're going to stumble all over your words. You stutter every now and then. You mix up your words. You're going to stumble all over your words. People are going to be looking at you and saying, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this guy is up there preaching. And then that starts to if I dwell on that too long, then I start to get the, the, the butterflies and I start to get the, 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 the fear of oh, maybe I shouldn't do it. So I know that every Friday, one of the things that I do is I rebuke that spirit of fear, and that spirit of doubt in the name of Jesus before I get up and preach, because I'm not going to let those spirits get in here and keep me from doing what I know God is calling me to do. One of the other things that you can do every um, every Sunday when you talk about um, a failure point is making sure that you're praying over your church before you're going into church. Asking God to camp his angels round about the property so that no forces of darkness can enter in to steal the word. Looking at failure points is key because Holy Spirit can review to you where things could go wrong, but tell you to give it to him to take care of. If you start dwelling on those failure points too much, what will happen is the devil will get in there and start telling you that, yep, that's not going to work. So if you're looking to identify failure points, you have to be careful to make sure that it's Holy Spirit talking to you to be able to separate Holy Spirit's voice from the devil's voice when he's telling you what could go wrong. Because when the devil tells you something's going to go wrong, it's going to be done with authority. The same way that that he did it with authority with Jesus and said, well, it's written that you can that the that the angels will will bear you up unless you dash your foot on a stone. 
He spoke with some authority when he said that. But Jesus knew the word and said, huh, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So a lot of times when the devil tries to, to plant something in your mind, he's going to speak it with authority, make you think that. So my car didn't start yesterday. It's not going to start today. So I might as well just not even go to church. When Holy Spirit reveals it to you, he'll say, you know, your car didn't start yesterday, but I'm much more powerful than that. Give it to me and your car is going to start. So you've got to be able to separate those two voices. So before we collect tithes and offerings, just for a quick little recap here, ways to go on the offensive. Look at any dreams, visions or prophecies that were given to you and, and a response to those accordingly after you give them to God. If there's a call to action there, make sure you act on it um, and act on it in a timely manner. Look for patterns in your life that can be uh, that can be signs of um, demonic activity or or spiritual activity coming against you so that you can rebuke them before they actually attack. Seek any confirmation when you feel that God is calling you to do something. OK, so that you can actually then make sure that you are aligning yourself and aligning your actions with what God is calling you to do. Tithing, making sure that you are given to God first and foremost before you give anywhere else and then look for any potential failure points in the various situations in your life and rebuke those in the name of Jesus and know that God will be able to be able to defeat those things so they don't become a hindrance. OK, I pray that this message was a blessing to you. And now let's prepare to honor God by collecting our tithes and offerings.